Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think deep down inside, we're all afraid of dying. And to start looking at purpose and identity is actually to say, Life is finite. I might not reach my goals. I may die one day and not get there. So I'm going to start today thinking about purpose and identity. It's so uncomfortable to do that. It's facing your own mortality. No one wants to do that. So instead, we look at these achievements, these goals. It's Maybe it's some net worth. Maybe it's some job title. The problem is, again, we get to the top of the mountain to that place we think our goal is. And then we look up higher and see there are more peaks along the way. It's because we're focusing on probably something that truly isn't meeting our needs, but it's easy. So we keep doing it. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, So you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, 
and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. I should say Doc G, but <laughs> thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. People call me by my name, Jordan Grumman, or they call me Doc. Either works just fine. Excellent. Okay, so I am a big fan of your work. You were one of the first people that I actually found in the financial independence space. And so for me, as a woman, a Latina who's you know pursuing financial independence myself, I found that I would recurringly see these stories of people who had externally looks like really lucrative careers, you know, in either tech or in your case, medicine, and they were leaving it all behind. And I just thought that was such a radical idea because me as an engineer, I was like, wait a minute, these are people who are like successful on the books, but they're all not doing the thing that they're actually meant to do. And so that sparked an interest in me to find out what is it that's making people go down this rabbit hole. So I think I want to start there with you. Let's talk about, first off, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. And then let's talk about kind of what started this whole thing. So I am Jordan Grummet, also known as Doc G. I am the host of the Earn and Invest podcast, and my book, Taking Stock, is coming out August 2nd. What started all this? Well, going back to the beginning, I had been the son of a doctor. And my dad was this revered person in the community. He was an oncologist or cancer doctor. He loved his work and he died suddenly when I was seven. Mm. And I couldn't quite explain in my seven-year-old mind why that happened. I certainly felt a certain sense of guilt. When you're seven, you think everything revolves around you. So if something bad happens, it must be because you're bad. And so my logic was I could make up for this horrible thing that happened by becoming just like him, by walking in his footsteps, by becoming a doctor like him, by fulfilling all that work that he never was able to do. Mm. And it set me off on this path to become a physician, a path that I thought was my purpose and identity all the way through high school and college and medical school and residency. And then I started practicing medicine and realized that it probably wasn't so. And I became burnout, burned out and was looking for a way out. And a guy sent me a copy of his book because I was writing a medical blog at the time. And the book was The White Coat Investor by Jim Dolly. And it was a financial book. And he wanted me to review it for my medical blog. And I sat down and read it. And the book changed my life. It kind of said, here's what financial independence is. Here's how you can figure out if you're there or not. And here's some good steps to be a great investor. And I realized immediately I actually was financially independent. I grew up in a family that modeled great financial behavior. I was doing all the right things. I just didn't know their meaning. And so I did exactly what you were talking about. I started looking at what the idea of success was, my community's idea of success, my pre-existing belief about success, and started trying to match that up with my internal sense of something's wrong here and I don't really feel like I'm doing what I was meant to do in the world. And so we can call it outward success, but it didn't feel like inward success. Hmm. 
And that's why I knew I had to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of folks that listen to this podcast find themselves in that place where they're like, I know something's wrong, but I don't necessarily know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I just feel like maybe I'm living someone else's version of what my life should be. Maybe I picked a career and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. It could be a combination of things or they just find themselves feeling unfulfilled in some way, shape, or form. So given the fact that you had chosen this profession to honor your father, how does one reconcile with the idea that like, maybe this is not the identity for me and what does that do to his legacy? So how does one reconcile? Not easily. (laughs) And this was by no means a fast process. So like I said, I had this overwhelming knowledge all of a sudden that I was financially independent, but emotionally... I was nowhere near there. So instead of jumping up and down and celebrating, I actually had a panic attack. And I fell into a fairly deep depression for the next six months trying to figure out who am I? What does meaning, purpose, and identity mean if all of a sudden those things are not this kind of false cloak of identity I'd been wearing as a physician? And how the heck do I figure out what those things are? And there was certainly an amount of sorrow of yes, I am now considering letting go of that last wisp of connection of a little boy who lost his father at seven. And so I had to come to terms with that, but also realize that that artificial connection, that connection of something, a profession we shared, but not necessarily a passion, wasn't really what our relationship was truly about. But it wasn't easy. And I had to spend years thinking about writing diving into personal finance, because to me, that was lens in which I could start understanding my situation. It took a lot of time to actually then start building the life that I wanted. So first Mm -hmm. I had to figure out what life do I want, and then how do I get there from here? Mm -hmm. And that was a whole nother process. So it took time and it took a lot of thought and facing some of my demons. Yeah. That's never the type of work that we, I think, get excited about doing for ourselves. But I think it's where we really do discover beyond the surface level of what society or our loved ones or maybe even ourselves, we tell ourselves, you know, like what's going to make us happy. I I was convinced for the longest time, I just need to make $100,000 a year. That's it. That's the key to happiness. That's more than any woman in my family's ever made. So I know that's going to be the thing. And then it was just like, wait a minute, that was not the thing. So (laughs) it's interesting how that introspection that can feel kind of icky is the thing that most of us probably need to do to get those real answers. And I think a lot of us need those original false goals, like those monetary goals, because it does give us an original direction. The danger is that we hang our hat on those false goals and find that when we get there, it feels empty because we're really no closer to a sense of purpose and identity. We've just now have more money in the bank. And so that also can be disconcerting. And I think that was the exact point I was at when I realized I was financially independent. I hit this monetary goal or this idea that I don't have to work anymore. But it was incredibly difficult to also realize that I had no idea what I wanted to do with all that huge amount of power that I had accumulated. That just saying I have lots of money and I'm financially independent actually doesn't feel like a life. (laughs) It feels like descriptors. It feels like tools that we then use in order to build the life. And I didn't spend much time thinking about, well, how do I actually build that? I mean, I had done the things like I'd gotten married and I had kids, all things that are wonderful and I'm glad I did. But when it came to that kind of personal identity outside of my relationships, I hadn't done much digging to figure out who I really wanted to be. 
Yeah. So you mentioned that you realized you were financially independent when you found out about the FIRE movement. Is that accurate or? Pretty much. I mean, I had heard whisperings of it here and there, especially in medicine, but this was the first time I I really came to terms with it. So I was familiar with the idea, but not the specifics. Okay. And so when you say that you figured out that you were financially independent, like what did that actually mean? What had you had in place and maybe done just as a subconscious thing because of what you learned about money growing up that had put you in that position? So I grew up with parents who are incredibly savvy. I mean, they always saved at least 50% of their income. They owned rental real estate. They owned side hustles and their own businesses. They invested in the stock market. I remember as a kid watching my stepdad look through the newspaper and kind of run the stocks and see what the numbers were. So when I grew up and started having extra money, I did the same things. My wife and I got married. We decided, okay, we'll put your income into investments and my income will pay our bills. And then we, like my parents, bought rental real estate and we had four or five doors before we knew it. I had started side hustles and businesses on my own. When I started getting burned out in medicine, I went to my financial advisor. I had one at the time and he actually was a very good financial advisor. And he said, okay, let's look at when you can retire. You're getting burned out of medicine. Let's see what we can do. And he did a Monte Carlo simulation and put me through all sorts of stuff that was very appropriate. But it was funny because he said, well, before we do all this, how much do you think you want to spend a year? And I had never even contemplated that. I had made savings so automatic, I had no idea what I was spending. So off the top of my head, I said, eh, I like to spend $250,000, $300,000 a year. So all of his models were based on that. And also his partner who you ran the simulation with didn't feel like real estate played a role in your investment income. So I owned five condos fully. I had no mortgages, nothing. And that wasn't even in my numbers. So when he did his Monte Carlo simulation, he said, yeah, you're nowhere near retiring. You've got years to go. So then I went to my accountant who, who happened to be my mother. And I said, okay, accountant, you've been looking at my numbers. How much do I need to retire? And she kind of said $10 million. And I said, well, I don't have $10 million. And she said, okay, then you're probably not there yet. So I had all these ideas, but none of them had any logic behind them. When I read Jim's book, I realized, okay, there's this concept of the safe withdrawal rate. There's these ways that you can pick a safe withdrawal rate that seems good to you and then define out what type of net worth you need and how much assets you need invested in order for the returns on those investments to create enough wealth for you to live from day to day. I had none of those concepts before. I had none of that vocabulary. So just realizing that it didn't answer every question, right? I still had to personalize all that information to me, but it definitely made it much more clear and I was much more able to move forward and start planning. Okay. Yeah. So that insight is really helpful. And I think this is something that I want to highlight as the importance of financial literacy. When you have that information growing up, how it can set you up for future success, right? And I think a lot of folks, especially that listen to this podcast, are the ones who are like your parents, who are setting up that foundation so that their kids end up in a better space with more information, able to have more autonomy because they have the financial skills to really start building that proficiency from the beginning. So parents, if you're listening and you're like, why the hell didn't anyone teach me this as a kid? (laughs) It happens, but I think we also have to be really cognizant that we can be that change. And also cognizant about this idea of how we teach. Like my parents taught me through modeling, but not really through didactic teaching. So we didn't do a lot of this is how you calculate your net worth. This is how you invest. It was more I kind of saw them doing it and started doing it myself. 
Yeah. And that explains why you're just like kind of an autopilot without the overall goal being very clear. Okay. So you come to this realization that you're burnt out from medicine. What's your plan? How do you get out of the rat race? Initially, I didn't have a plan. And that was where kind of all that depression and panic came in. There were a few things. I attacked it in two different manners. One is I looked at my current job and what I was doing. I wasn't ready to walk away from that identity that I had really defined me for all those years. So I couldn't just walk away. I couldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Instead, I said, well, let me look at what I do every day and let's slowly get rid of the things that cause the most friction. Like, what do I despise about work today? And can I get rid of it? So at the time I was seeing patients in nursing homes, I had my own practice. I was doing all sorts of side hustles. I was managing real estate. So I decided that I'm going to get rid of my practice, right? Patients were calling me. I had to run to their houses on weekends. It was all sorts of problems. So the first thing I did is got rid of my practice. And I just started seeing patients in nursing homes and doing side hustles like hospice and all sorts of other things. Then I realized the nursing home stuff was stressing me out. I was getting calls at three in the morning. So I stopped doing that. What I was left with was hospice. Hospice and palliative care, taking care of people who are terminally ill, still felt like it fit me. It still felt like something I identified with. And I realized I probably would continue doing the work even if I wasn't getting paid for it. So I was like, okay, that is something that's part of my identity I want to keep. I was doing it a lot more full time and I realized I could do it less and less and less until I fit it into the space and the amount of time each week I wanted to spend doing it. So what I call that is the art of subtraction. I subtracted out of my daily activities, all those things that weren't bringing value and all those things that weren't congruent. And I had the benefit of having enough money to do that. There are other ways to use subtraction even when you're not financially independent. But in my case, I happen to be. The other side then was to start trying to figure out, well, what is purpose to me? What is identity? And here is where I took a lesson from my own dying patients that I was taking care of in hospice. You know, when you take care of a lot of dying people, you start hearing similar things over and over again. And one thing I would hear from people as they got closer to death is not every person and certainly not every situation, but they'd say something to the extent of, I really regret that I never had the energy, courage, or time to, and then they'd fill in the blank, right? And so I started asking myself that same question, like, what am I not doing because it's scary? What am I not doing because I always told myself I don't have enough time? What am I not doing because I felt like I had to do work that made me a lot of money and this won't make money? And what I realized is the activities that I really loved, the writing, the podcasting, the public speaking, those were the things that were giving me a real sense of purpose and meaning, things that I had always pushed into the little time slots left because I had such a busy career that on occasional nights and weekends, I could indulge myself in this. I said, what would a life look like if, in fact, that was most of my time? And then the medicine part, the hospice part, was the little indulgence area that wasn't that much. And that's exactly what I started doing and realizing that that life, the life as a communicator, the identity I eventually moved to from physician to communicator was an identity that fit me so much better. And it was an identity in which I could get myself involved in activities where the process of doing the activity was gratifying enough that even if I never reached that ultimate goal, I still felt like I was spending my time well and I was starting to connect to other people with similar interests and feeling a connection to them that I had never felt in medicine. And so I knew I was like on the right path because I was starting to really just enjoy what I was doing from day to day. And I was starting to make those relationships that I had been lacking for most of my professional career. 
because that identity I was wearing on my outside didn't fit my inside. So I was more ashamed of being a doctor than I was proud. And it stopped me from forming deeper relationships. Wow. You were ashamed of being a doctor. That's insane to think about, but it's also like, I think it's a hard thing to reconcile when you realize that just this idea that people had about what your role is supposed to be, or even what, you know, you think your role is supposed to be is not, it's not connected with who you are. You know, it's a lot of internal turmoil that I think you have to navigate through. And I'm curious for folks who still don't understand like what the whole point of financial independence is. I think this is exactly it. It's having that power to decide that you can kind of get out of the autopilot mode and start being a little more intentional with how you spend your time, how you earn money, what you allow in your schedule. I think so many of us feel like we have to live life in those pockets where people give us permission and we can actually be more proactive, right? And make those pockets of time bigger with money. What I love is this idea that Financial independence is great because it focuses us on net worth. It focuses us on making money, and it's a great step in the right direction. But ultimately, we also have to realize that money is a tool and not a goal. It's a tool to help us live more purposeful, meaningful lives where we feel more in touch with our own identity. What's really cool is I believe that we make a certain mistake, and the mistake that we often make is that we put our finances first and wait till we get to that mountaintop and then decide, okay, now we can focus on figuring out who we are. It was the mistake I made. But think about how powerful it is if we do the exact opposite. If we start getting in touch with our purpose and identity now and then start building our financial framework, our financial independence plan around it, I just want to make sure that people are starting to enjoy today in the midst of building financial independence, as opposed to being miserable today in order to build financial independence and figuring, well, I'll start thinking about meaning and purpose later on, because I think that's the mistake. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., 
and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. So how would you recommend folks go about identifying their greater purpose? Because I know I get a lot of questions when I talk about this. People are like, I don't even know what questions to ask myself. I feel like I'm so far removed from who I'm supposed to be that I don't even know how to get back there. So there is no right or wrong when it comes to purpose. And we misunderstand this, right? Purpose can be long-term or short-term. You can have multiple purposes. Purpose can be something really important to the world, like saving the whales or, or what have you. Or it can be something that's totally for you only, like having a modern art collection. The point is, and, and I really like to go back to this visualization exercise, for me, the easiest way to think of purpose is that visualization I talked about at the end of life. If you can imagine yourself lying on your deathbed, bemoaning your life and saying, man, I really regret that I didn't, right? And, and what comes next? And that's a process that isn't a one-timer. That's something you have to kind of do multiple times, really think it through. In hospice, we call it the life review process. So when we have patients who are admitted at the end of life, we take care of their physical symptoms. We make sure they're comfortable. We help them plan for that inevitable day. But a big part of that too is someone on the team, whether that's a doctor, a social worker, a nurse, a chaplain, whoever, sits down and we do a life review. And what that is, is we ask people about their lives. What had meaning to you? What did you accomplish? What didn't you accomplish? What were relationships were most important to you? What would you like to accomplish over the next few weeks? This life review process really helps us clear the cobwebs in people's minds and help them decide what they need to live what we call a quote unquote good death. So why don't we do the same process as young people in order to live a quote unquote good life? Like, the idea is why aren't we doing more life review at a much earlier age? So I think it's a great starting place is, is start your own life review. You can look it up. There are tons of instructions on the internet about how to do life review, but ask yourself those important questions now. But there are other questions you can ask yourself. Like for me, when I was acting as a doctor and I was busy, I would wake up in the middle of the night for an idea for a short story or for an idea for a blog post. And I couldn't go back to sleep because I had to write it down. Like what's waking you up in the middle of the night and you're so excited you can't go back to sleep? That probably somewhat connects with your purpose. And if that doesn't work, ask around. Like how do other people see you? The people who love you. Now, granted, they come with their own baggage too, but it's sometimes nice to hear an outside perspective. And if you're really struggling with purpose, I also tell people to kind of move on to identity and start looking at some of those exercises you can do to explore a greater sense of your identity for me, it was asking the question or saying the statement, I am over and over again, and then filling in the blank. And when I first did this, I said, I am a doctor. It was the first thing that came to my mind. And I was like, well, that's my profession, but it's not really who I am on the inside. The next thing that came was, I am a father, a son, a husband. I started talking about family relationships, which are very important to me, but it's not exactly, again, who I am or who I strive to be. Next thing came some accomplishments, like I am a Plutus Award winner for my Earn and Invest podcast. Again, achievements are cool, but as we all know, every time you get an achievement, you're looking to top it and get to the next achievement. And that didn't really give me a sense of exactly who I was. But eventually, I came to the deeper stuff. And it took me a while. As I am a writer. I am a podcaster. I'm a communicator. And I think when I hit on that, I'm like, oh, 
okay, that really best describes what I strive for on a day-to-day basis. I want to create these interesting, great conversations that help people. And so I think it's a process. You have to toggle between purpose and identity. It's something that might take you months or years, but we have to keep asking ourselves those questions and trying to decide what truly has meaning for us. And if none of that helps, then you got to start throwing yourself into things, saying yes to things you normally wouldn't do, hang out with people you normally wouldn't hang out with, being more open to the world to kind of see when you're throwing that spaghetti against the wall, what sticks. And so it's, it's an exploratory process. And by no means does it really end. Like, I don't think I can clearly say that my purpose and my identity were wrapped up in being a physician for a lot of my younger years. And it was gratifying at that time, but then it wasn't anymore. Yeah. And so my purpose and identity pivoted a little bit to something that was a part of who I was, but maybe I wasn't paying it enough homage the way I now do. I love that. Okay. So I'm curious if you could share some money lessons that maybe you've learned from folks who are at the end of their life. Does anyone ever regret like saving too much money (laughs) or spending too much money? Like what are some of the insights that you have there? (laughs) So people almost never regret working more nights and weekends. Like no one on their deathbed is like, I wish I worked more nights and weekends. No one actually on their deathbed says, you know, my goal was a net worth of 1.5 million and I only made it to 1 million. Like no one says that. Usually it's actually the opposite. If they had money, they didn't use the money actually in pursuit of those things that really mattered to them. If they don't have money, a lot of times the regret is that they allowed the lack of money not to pursue the things that were important to them. So really our regrets focus more on who we are and what has meaning to us. People make money mistakes, right? So yeah, occasionally you're going to meet someone's like, man, I'm really sad. I took all my money and put it in the stock market and lost everything. But behind that usually is that their life was poorer because they didn't then have the fuel they needed to do the things that really had some purpose for them. I'm also curious on the insights you may have for the family members who are saying, you know, goodbye to these folks. What are some of the biggest lessons that you have taken away from that experience? There's so much, I think, when it comes to family. I mean, ultimately, I think we as family members, our biggest struggle is to see people as they are and to accept them as they are. And so that's what I see a lot of, you know, if you're lucky, Everyone comes together at the end of life and everyone's heart opens up and people say, okay, I didn't like that you did this for a living. I didn't like that you decided to marry this person, whatever those things are. But now that you're in the end of life and I'm open to you and I realize this is who you are. And so if you're lucky, you make amends and come to a satisfactory ending. The problem is it really is sad that we often wait for the unexpected plot twist that fixes everything at the end. And it'd be so nice. You mean life is not like a movie? (laughs) Yeah, it'd be so nice if we started working towards those things sooner. So I think it's really hard for family because, yeah, I think they say, boy, I really wish we had worked on these things together earlier. And now we're at the end of life and we'll do the best we can to make up for it. But I think family members also have epiphanies because they're watching their loved one die and they start thinking about these same issues the way I think young people in general should is they start saying, oh, grandma is dying or mom or dad is dying and they're really sad and they really regret they didn't do these things. I'm young. Maybe I should start thinking about the things that I'll regret. And so Mm. it can have that positive effect, at least if people are there and they're part of the process. Yeah. So your new book, 
is talking about financial independence, building wealth, but also living a regret-free life. So what's the biggest takeaway you want folks to get from reading your book? So I think really the process is a three-step process. And if people take anything away from this, I would love them to take away from the book that we should start with purpose and identity and connections. And that's really, we should look at that specifically before we look at our financial goals. And I think once we start getting a hold of what purpose and identity we really want to move towards, which connections we want to make, I think once we start getting a hold of that, then we should start building our financial independence framework that takes into account those things that are important to us. And there are a bunch of different ways to financial independence. In the book, I talk about three main ways, front-loading the sacrifice, which is kind of the typical fire way of working really hard, making a lot of money, and then retiring when you've hit your net worth number. That's one way. Another way is to do passive income, side hustles, real estate, digital entrepreneurship, these things where you work really hard in the beginning, create passive income. And the moment you have enough passive income to cover your monthly needs, you're financially independent. And then the last way or the third way, which we don't really often talk about, but I think it's just as important is if you happen to find a job you love, let's say you are an artist or an architect, and every day you go to work doing something you love and you would do it even if no one was paying for you to do it, and you can make enough money doing that to cover your daily needs then in a sense, you're financially independent from the beginning. Yes, you're going to need disability insurance and life insurance and all those important things. But I don't think we can figure out which path works best for us until we understand our purpose and identity first. Then we've got to decide which road we want to take towards being financially independent. And then last but not least, we have to ask ourselves one last important question. Are we afraid of dying young and rich or old and broke? And the answer to that question is going to tell you how fast you want to move towards financial independence. So let me put that into perspective. Are you afraid of dying young and rich? My father died at the age of 40, and he had had a premonition he was going to die young. He told my mom, in fact, when he married her, he said, I'm not going to live long. So for my dad, because he really was afraid that he was going to die young, for him, saving for retirement just wasn't as important. For him, it was important to do a little bit of YOLO. You only live once. He had hobbies. He loved photography. He loved to travel. He was learning another language when he died. But he also passed up a really lucrative job out of fellowship to do something that would give him more control over his time that he enjoyed more. For him, retirement deferred gratification wasn't as important because his big fear was that he was going to die young and not enjoy whatever wealth he accumulated. For people like that, I say, okay, make a certain amount of money decide that you're going to put, let's say, 10% away towards financial independence. And let's say you're going to take 30 or 40% of your income, whatever's left over after you cover expenses. Let's put that in a YOLO fund. You don't think you're going to live long. You're worried about dying wealthy at a young age. Go out and enjoy yourself. Like Use that money to fulfill your meaning and purpose. One of two things will happen. Either you'll die like my father, and then you at least used your money to have fun and to do what you wanted to do. Or you'll live to an old age Yes, you're not going to retire at 40 or 50. You're probably going to retire at 65 or 70. But you know what? You've been using this big YOLO fund to really push meaning and purpose. You've been doing what you really want to do. To me, that looks like success. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at the other side. You're worried that you're going to die old and broke. That's like the traditional fire mindset. If that's your issue, then you're like me. I've always figured I'm going to live to an old age. So I didn't mind working my butt off in my 20s and 30s because I felt like I had decades to go. Like I could work really hard, accumulate a lot of money, put it in the stock market, let it compound and do its thing. I always figured I had tons of time to enjoy myself. 
So I didn't worry about those years in between. And now I'm in my 40s. I've accumulated money. It's been compounding over years and years and years. I can spend the next few decades doing whatever I please. The answer doesn't matter which scares you more. But if you can answer that question, you can then decide how fast you want to build towards financial independence. Again, my dad would have built very slowly because to him, he just didn't see a huge future. I built incredibly fast. I put away 40 or 50% of my income every year because I wanted to get there quickly. Yeah. And so I think if you can kind of look at those three points, think about purpose, identity, and connections first, then build the financial independence framework, depending on which path you want to take to financial independence. And lastly, decide how fast you want to get to financial independence by trying to figure out if you're more scared of dying young and rich versus old and broke. And I think yeah. that's the book in a nutshell. That sounds incredible. I can't wait to see a copy and read it because I think it gives you options. And I think that's the whole point of financial independence. It's not one way to do it. The same way that personal finance in general it has to be customized to reach your specific goals in order for it to be something that is sustainable. Now, what do you say to folks who are just finding out about the financial independence movement and they're like in their 40s and they're like, how the hell? Like, is there even a point to this at this point? I'm too old. You know, I think there's totally a point. And there are plenty of people who found financial independence in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And within even a few short years, were able to make changes that make their lives better. The problem with a lot of us is we see it as very black and white. You either are financially independent or you're not. The truth of the matter is there's lots of shades of gray in the middle of there. So you could be 45 or 55 or 60, make a few changes, start investing, let compounding start taking effect. You might not be financially independent yet, but maybe you're a lot better off than you were. Maybe there is a little breathing room to take that extra vacation or to start picking up that hobby that's really meaningful to you. It's amazing to see when life becomes intentional how many options and opportunities there are. And I think that's the key. Mm. I've seen lots of people start working on financial independence in, in their 50s and 60s, and within five years, their lives are totally different and better. Maybe they're already financially independent because it went a lot faster than they thought it was when they really knuckled down and realized what they needed. A lot of people aren't financially independent, but feel like the options are endless. Yeah. I can absolutely attest to the power of intentionality. I feel like I've accomplished more in the past five years than I did the first, you know, in all of my 20s. And it really was because I just didn't have a goal. I didn't have a goal for what I was trying to do. I didn't have a really clear grasp of like what I wanted my life to look like. I was just kind of subscribed to this typical consumerist acquisition capitalist way of living where you just work to acquire the things and the things will make you happy. And yeah. unfortunately for most of us, that's just not enough. <laughs> and it's easy. What I call it in the book is all that stuff is the low hanging fruit. Mm. It is scary to actually look at the more difficult stuff. And Believe it or not, I think the reason it's scary is I think deep down inside, we're all afraid of dying. And to start looking at purpose and identity is actually to say, life is finite. I might not reach my goals. I may die one day and not get there. So I'm going to start today at thinking about purpose and identity. It's so uncomfortable to do that. It's facing your own mortality. No one wants to do that. So instead, we look at these achievements, these goals. It's Maybe it's some net worth. Maybe it's some job title. The problem is, again, we get to the top of the mountain to that place we think our goal is, and then we look up higher and see there are more peaks along the way. It's because we're focusing on 
probably something that truly isn't meeting our needs, but it's easy. So we keep doing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to guess the answer to this, but if I had to ask you to leave us with one thing that we can all do right now to start to create a life that is less regretful, what's the one thing? So again, it may sound a little repetitive, but I think you have to put purpose and identity first. I think really those are the first steps. I'm not saying ignore your finances. I'm saying take some of your mental energy away from your finances. Let's start working on purpose and identity. And I promise you, that's the harder part. Mm -hmm. Once you get past that hurdle, or at least you're in the process of jumping over it, you will find that your financial independence framework is manageable but you've got to start in the right place. And it, it's exactly what I didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us don't. <laughs> yeah, Doc, this has been an awesome conversation. For folks that want to find out more about you, your podcast, your platform, your upcoming book, where's the best place for us to find you? All right. So the book, Taking Stock, A Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Regret-Free Life is available August 2nd through Ulysses Press. Easiest way to find me or the book is to go to jordangrummet.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com. The reason I send you there is pretty much it's a hub for everything book, as well as my personal finance podcast, Earn and Invest, my personal finance blog, Diversify, as well as my medical blog that I haven't written in in a few years, but it is connected there. If you just want to hear the podcast, it's earnandinvest.com, but those two places are the best place to reach me. Awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for really giving us the insight that I think we need when it comes to the things that you're going to regret at the end of your life, it's never going to be about money. It's going to be about way more. And so the faster that we get to really prioritizing the things that matter, which is discovering why you were put here on this planet, I think we will all find ourselves at the end of that road, whenever that may be, having a lot less of those regrets that so many folks that you encounter speak about. So thank you for your insight and for your information. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.
On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.